Poetry on Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vihos. Hi, I'm Lisa Vihos, and this is Poetry on Air, a program of Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, in which we explore poetry and the meaning and inspiration and even healing that it brings to our lives. My guest today is Thomas J. Erickson. Tom grew up right next door to Sheboygan in Kohler, Wisconsin. He's a poet and a Pushcart Prize nominee with three chapbooks to his name and one collection called The Biology of Consciousness from Pebblebrook Press. Tom is an attorney in Milwaukee where he's a member of the Hartford Avenue Poets. And his new book, Cutting the Dusk in Half, is forthcoming later this year from Bent Paddle Press. Welcome, Tom. Well, it's good to be here. Good to be back in Sheboygan County. Yeah. I don't think I've been in the Mead Public Library since I was probably 18 years old. Oh, my goodness. It's been a long time. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, let's go ahead and jump in and... Uh, start. What did you bring to share today? Uh, the f- I brought two poems. The first one is called The Charm of 530, and it's by a poet uh, and musician named David Berman. Okay. The Charm of 530. It's too nice a day to read a novel set in England. We're within inches of the perfect distance from the sun. The sky is blueberries and cream, and the wind is as warm as air from a tire. Even the headstones in the graveyard seem to stand up and say, Hello, my name is. It's enough to be sitting here on my porch, thinking about Kermit Roosevelt, following the course of an ant, or walking out into the yard with a cordless phone to find out if she is going to be there tonight. On a day like today, what looks like bad news in the distance turns out to be something on my contact. Carports and white courtesy phones are spontaneously reappreciated, and random OKs ring through the backyards. This morning, I dis- discovered the red tints in cola when I, held a glass up, when I held a glass of it up to the light and found an expensive flashlight in the pocket of a winter coat I was packing away for summer. It all reminds me of that moment when you take off your sunglasses after a long drive and realize it's earlier and lighter out than you had accounted for. You know what I'm talking about. And that's the kind of fellowship that's taking place in town, out in the public spaces, You won't overhear anyone using the words dramaturgy or state inspection today. We're too busy getting along. It occurs to me that the laws are in the regions and the regions are in the laws. And it feels good to say this, something that I'm almost sure is true outside under the sun. Then to say it again around friends in the resonant voice of a 19th century senator just for a lark. There's a shy fellow on the courthouse steps holding up a placard that says, but I kind of like Clinton. His head turns slowly as a beautiful girl walks by, holding a refrigerated bottle up against her flushed cheek. She smiles at me, and I allow allow myself to imagine her walking into town to buy lotion at a brick pharmacy. When she gets home, she'll apply it with great lingering care before moving into her parlor to play 78 records and drink gin and tonics beside her homemade altar to James Madison. In a town of this size, it's certainly possible that I'll be invited over one night. In fact, I'll bet you something. Somewhere in the future, I am remembering today. I'll bet you I am remembering how I walked into the park at 5.30, my favorite time of day, and how I found two cold pitchers of just poured beer sitting there on the bench. 
I'm remembering how my friend Chip showed up with a catcher's mask hanging from his belt. And how I said, great to see you. Sit down, have a beer, how are you? And how he turned to me with the sunset reflecting off his contacts and said, wonderful, how are you? Interesting. Love that ending. That's a good ending. (laughs) It is a good ending. Um, So the charm of 530, what... um, what was it in this poem that that grabbed you, that speaks to you? Um, you know, this is the kind of poem you read and you, you wish you, I, I wish I would have written it. Okay. That, that kind of poem. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a maybe a little rule that's in the back of, I think, most poets' uh, consciousness, and that's, uh, you know, Sort of write write particular, but let the feelings be sort of vague. Mm-hmm. You let let the reader f- figure out the feelings. Mm-hmm. This is such a particular poem with little nuances and funny little asides and mm-hmm. historical allusions, like to Kermit Roosevelt and James Madison. Right, and it's so obvious to me that it's a college town, and this is probably a college kid or a graduate student or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the whole thing about chip and the catcher's mask and the tensicola but all those little particular things i think come together to a to an emotional ending and that's sort of what drew drew me to it yeah i i i noticed that too the sort of a there's sort of a meandering quality to the to the thought process it's sort of moving through all these small details like you said these specifics that are kind of disjointed in some ways and yet they do make a kind of sense they make you a know, kind of sense. They yeah. make a kind of sense. Yeah. And then that moment when you, you know, turn to a friend and say, I'm wonderful. How are you? Yeah. You know, and it's just I think that's a really kind of a <laughs> a neat ending. Yeah. And and David Berman was a, a musician, right? And he wrote lyrics. Yeah. So, you know, sort of the backstory of this for me is uh, one of my sons uh, suggested – I guess he liked this band that David Berman was ahead of. It's called it was called the Silver Jews, which I liked too, and I listened to quite a bit. Uh-huh. And then he had a, a band called Purple Mountains. He committed suicide in 2019, mm-hmm. and my son said, "You know, he was he was also a poet okay. before." So I looked at his poetry and I thought this was really good. Uh-huh. Um, he had one book of poetry that was extremely well received. Mm-hmm. He just sort of left it aside mm-hmm. and went on into a musical career. Um, and then I. I read this poem like the week after he committed suicide at Linneman's on their Monday night oh. open mic. I know you've read there before, yeah. which is kind of a neat thing to do. Kind um, of in his honor. Kind of in his honor. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So. Um, Interesting. Yeah, right. Do you, so do you have his book of poetry? Uh, I don't have his book, okay. but there's a lot. so many of his poems are online. Okay. I'll yeah, have to check out easy some more. It's easy yeah. to find them. And they're uh, yeah. uh, like his lyrics of his songs. Are, they're sort of. Um, funny and mm-hmm. uh, uh, but also pretty cutting too. Yeah, and you said it was the kind of poem that makes you, as a poet, say, "I wish I, I wish I'd written that poem." Right. Um, to me, knowing your poetry, it does have a certain resonance with the kind of poems that you write that are that have a kind of story feel to them, or a you know walking through a situation kind of feeling. So, yeah. would you say that it kind of resonates with what you do write with what you write? I, I definitely, I hope so because <laughs> I, I think, think this is better than what I write. <laughs> but I think it's yeah. I totally. Yeah. I, I try to do that. I think, like I said, sub, subconsciously, you okay. try to just make mm-hmm. the particular universal sort of, and that's what he does here. I think really well. Yeah, interesting. Um, 
And so, let's see. Any anything else about the poem that you want to no, I don't, I don't point out so. right now? Okay, let's go to your the next poem that you brought. Um, I brought this short poem. It's called "Good Time Jesus." It's by James Tate, who's uh, one of my favorite poets. Okay. Uh, Good Time Jesus. Jesus got up one day a little later than usual. He has been dreaming so deep there was nothing left in his head. What was it? A nightmare, dead bodies walking all around him, eyes rolled back, skin falling off. But he wasn't afraid of that. It was a beautiful day. How about some coffee? Don't mind if I do. Take a little ride on my donkey. I love that donkey. Hell, I love everybody. <laughs> another another smashing ending. Right, <laughs> another, another ending. good ending, yes. Um, yes. And uh, how did you find this poem? Where did you find um, it? Well, James Tate is somebody who sort of uh, effect, has influenced my poems just because they're very funny. Okay. And he also does a lot of surreal, I'm not, you know, I think, you can't have a poem that's too surreal, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, some there are a lot, as you know, but um, sure. for my taste, no. Um, but he definitely does, like, he'll have talking animals and just okay. little funny situations. Mm-hmm. And I've it's kind of, like, loosened me up in some of my poems where I think I can sort of do that. And it's certainly a way to be more humorous. Okay. Um, yeah. I didn't know this, but I, in preparation for our interview, I was sort of looking around at his biography and he just died a few years ago he's you know i think he was like in the 70s okay um but he said his goal often was to write a poem that made you laugh at the beginning and cry at the end Hmm. which i just read now this one doesn't do that obviously but some of them you know there's (laughs) some there is kind of some i suppose sad irony with i love everybody at the end yeah but yeah so i i i thought he's sort of given me like the freedom, maybe freedom's the wrong word, giving me the, um, I guess, the idea that I can go in sort of a funny, absurdist direction sometimes. Yeah. And it it, it, it does definitely is an effective way to mm-hmm. convey some mm-hmm. certain poems in certain situations. Yeah. It seems like especially, well, it's kind of understated, the humor. It's not yeah. uh, hit you over the head type of humor. It's... Yeah, he I think does it's it like so, a lightheartedness almost. Or, he does it so effortlessly that it yeah. seems so real. Yeah, you know, I know he says like he has a poem with like um, he's walking around with I can't remember the type of animal, but he's walking around town and they have interactions with all these people, uh-huh. and the animals talking to people, he's talking to people, but it's just done <laughs> so well and so you like you don't it. really yeah, yeah you accept it immediately have yeah. you written any talking animal poems yet I have one yes yeah? I do have one <laughs> actually I think it's. It's the title of one of my books. It's called Hailstorm Interlude, okay. where my dog is talking to me at night. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, and and when you write your own poetry, do you do you tend to start with um, like a story you want to tell? Where, where, where would you say you, what inspires you to do a poem? What, what pushes you to write a poem? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. Um, who knows, right? Um, <laughs> Lots of times I write a poem because I have a meeting coming up and I have to get get a poem something. ready for oh, my okay. for my monthly uh, oh, Hartford Avenue for the Poets, Poets Group. Right, okay. so that's probably that's the biggest good, way. Yeah, it's a good motivation. Exactly. <clears throat> Lots of times, though, I think curiously, I start with a title. Ah. 
you know, I, Interesting. I just had an idea for a poem um, a few weeks ago. I haven't started it yet, but I have the title in mind. And that sort of is, a, a, I don't know, sometimes that's a key to me, just thinking of a title. Okay. No matter where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And you take the title and then do you kind of um, brainstorm where it, le- like, do poems just pour out of you or do you, like, put words down and then move things around and rewrite and how does it work for you? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big, huge rewriter, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Um, I'm not either. Yeah. I sometimes think I need to I need to cultivate that more, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I don't rewrite. Of course I do. But, uh, yeah, I guess it just sort of, it'll, it'll come out and then mm-hmm. you just sort of tweak it from there. I guess yeah. that's, that's what I do. In the in the writer's group that you you are part of, do you get a lot of helpful feedback from the oh, group? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been invaluable over the years. How long have you been in that group? I have been in that group. I'm the senior member of that group, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, so you were, I'm there, not the were you there from the beginning? I was there from the beginning. I'm not the oldest member of the group, okay. but I've, I've been there the longest. It's probably going on 20, 20 some years for me now. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Do you get, and you meet monthly? We, we meet monthly, right. right. That's terrific. It's good to have, uh, to all the... The fledgling writers out there, it's good to have a group that you participate in that, with people that you trust and, you know, who have a similar aesthetic as you do um, to help to help. Absolutely essential. Do the work, if there was you know. any advice I could give to anybody mm. who wants to try to be a poet is get in a group or get somebody to mm. look at your stuff. It really helps, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Because you need that other set of eyes to kind of reflect back to you sometimes right. a little bit. right. And even if you think a poem's done, it's never really done. True. Yeah. You can keep revising forever. Right. (laughs) Right. We're back with Poetry on Air. I'm Lisa Vijos, and my guest today is Milwaukee poet Tom Erickson. So we've been talking a lot about how you write poetry, and so let's hear some of your poetry. Um, Can you start with The Prison Visit? Sure. The Prison Visit. Because I'm an attorney and know where I'm going, I don't need an escort to walk to the infirmary to see my guy once I pass through security at the gatehouse. A couple of inmates come up the path dressed in dark green. Neither is one of my old clients, but you never know. We don't make eye contact, but our shadows touch as we pass. I am visiting Paul. He is paralyzed from the waist down and partially blind after being shot by the cops. He has a little goatee, which another inmate has to shave. He's been in for 20 years and will die before he makes parole. I don't want to lie, so I don't bring it up. He spends his days listening to music and lying in bed. He tells me he's lucky because his room in the infirmary has a window. He can't see much of anything, but the light is different, and sometimes in the morning the sun touches his face. He's begun listening to classical music and really likes Vivaldi. On the walk back to the gatehouse, I realize I probably won't see Paul again. It's kind of a relief, because I can't do anything for him anyway, plus no one's paying me anymore. He'll die in this room someday. His earphones will be in, and no one will hear the symphony. Hmm. That poem made me feel sad. Like, you know, it's got a sadness to it, right? 
Yeah. Um, how you've written a lot of poems that connect your your world as a an attorney, right? You've got a whole book. A whole book of them. Yeah. What, that was your first book, the court. What, tell me the, the name. The first book was. Um, uh, the Lawyer Who Died in the Courthouse Bathroom. Yes. That's not all lawyer poems, but okay. there's several in there. Okay. But then uh, I did do a book that's just lawyer poems. It's like 30-some lawyer poems, yeah. uh, which is called The Lawyer Chronicles. Okay. Like the Martian Chronicles. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, that that's out too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that was just devoted to that. And I kind of did that just... Um, uh, I don't know, just so they're all in one place. Sort yeah. Of. How on a on a regular writing day? How, I mean, or how often do you find yourself turning to your to your attorney self for your subject matter? You know, in a few years where I hardly did it all, mm-hmm. and then the last uh, within the last year, I've probably written two or three of them again. Mm-hmm. So it's always sort of there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, I think work is incredibly neglected by poets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just. I've written poems about being a garbage man in the summer, working in a cemetery, mm-hmm. counselor at a youth group home for troubled kids. There's so much stuff there. And I don't, you don't, I mean, there's, some poets do, like, you know, you can think of Philip Levine sort of. Yeah. Who wrote, well, like, about working in a factory. But there's so much stuff there, I think, that people don't write about that they could, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, I've, I've read, you have, there's, there's a, in the biology of consciousness, there's a f- quite a few or several. It's not it's certainly not the whole book. There's right. a lot of o- other different kinds of poem, different topics. But I do remember that there were quite a few there's in there. There's a few in there, yeah. And right. uh, I mean, it's like you are able in a few paragraphs, or excuse me, stanzas. They look like paragraphs in the way this poem is laid out, but um, to tell a story, you know, you tell stories really well. And in, in, I find in your in your lawyer poems, and and always makes me feel a lot of a kind kind of an an empathy for the person you're writing about. It's often you seem to be writing about people you're interacting with as a lawyer, and yes. it's um, it's it brings up a lot of feelings for me re- as the reader. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, I think yeah, empathy is probably at least the one of the motifs of the of a lot of the lawyer poems. Mm-hmm. But you can also go, I mean, also, you can be, there's funny things too. It's mm-hmm. humor, it's life and death, it's yeah. freedom, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's incarceration. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of themes that mm-hmm. are sort of just right there. Yeah. Even this prison visit poem, even though I guess there's really not any humor in the poem, it's per se, um, but yeah, it's sort of all right there as mm-hmm. to this guy who's yeah in sort all, gonna... all sorts of prisons, you know, prison mm-hmm. of his body, prison of his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it just seems like a rich for you. It's a very rich um, arena for for bringing up poetry, and um, I it is thanks for sharing this one with us. Um, let's see. Let's have you read. One I I requested from. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's in this. Book. Leading into this, um, the theft. The theft, right? Yeah. It's in this book here. This this appeared in Stoneboat. Yes. The journal that um, I used to work on that I helped to found, and 
I remember when I saw this poem, I'm like, oh, I really like this poem. So, Yeah, I'm glad you requested this. And I, I haven't <laughs> thought of this poem in a long time. Uh, cool. But I, revisiting it is always, it's always kind of fun to revisit a poem sometimes. I know. It's, it makes you think like, oh, wow, I wrote that. Like, or, you know, just where, what was I thinking? Or, yeah. oh, I was thinking, I was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> I'm it's, amazed. It, yeah, right. What happened <laughs> How did there? I do that? Something worked, right? <laughs> what a shock. All right, let's um, hear it. <laughs> the theft. When my ex-wife sold her house, the one I gave her in the divorce, I went to the backyard and dug up some peonies and bluebells which sort of felt like they were still mine, to transplant in my own garden. It was kind of heavy work, what with the swing set still there and the birdbath filled with twigs. On my way home, I was pulled over by the police, who suspected I was up to no good. They asked me where I got those flowers, and I said at my house on Sheffield. They said, you don't live on Sheffield anymore. I said, I know, but I used to, and that should count for something. They drove me back over and said I'd better prove I used to live there or I was going to jail. I told him to go upstairs and look for a latch behind where the big oak desk used to be. Open the latch, and you'll find a storage area. In, inside, there will be a cardboard box with all my old LPs. They brought the box down and asked, how do we know these are your records? It could have been a lucky guess. I told him to take out the Parliament Funkadelic album, and you'll find a fragment of an unfinished poem I wrote on the white sleeve in my almost indecipherable scrawl. I'm going to have to read it to you. In the livid twilight, you hold my arm while crossing the icy street. We crush berries in the snow, red on white. Warm for a while, coffee and eggs are a comfort. You, across the table, turn away to watch the snow fall, and the snow falls so silently. They let me go. This spring, the bluebells didn't come up, but the peonies will be in bloom by May. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That Speaking of humor, I mean, I think there's moments in this that, like when the cops say, they said, they said you don't live on Sheffield anymore. Like, how would they even know that? You oh, know, that right. is a moment when I found myself chuckling. And also when the poet says, uh, oh, open the latch and you'll find, no, 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 before that. I told them to go upstairs and look for a latch behind where the big oak desk used to be, right. as though they would know. But... Um, no, I, there's just a lot about this poem that I found very, uh, like, intriguing and funny, yet a little sad. I mean, it's about a person going and digging up plants from the house where they used to live, and they got a divorce. And, you know, there's just, it's kind of this back and forth between something funny and something sad, and the poem that's written in the, on the record sleeve, and, yeah. I don't know. So, one of the whenever someone writes a poem in the in the first person, I immediately want to say, okay, so did this is this really happen to you? And it's maybe not a fair question, but it's like I, talk about fact and fiction in your poetry. Yeah, gee, that's good because um, some of it has to happen, you know. But this is a kind of an example of when I said uh, when I talked about. James Tate, how this sort of has a surreal feel to it, mm -hmm. but the surreal element makes it all the more real to me here. Mm -hmm. Sort of, you know, the it's a way to get this person, whoever the I is, uh, and I often don't refer to the I as me. Basically, yeah. it's more like the writer of the poem. Yeah, the poet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the poet himself. Um, 
so that's but so that's kind of a I think a a means. But yeah, getting back to your question, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, you 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 dig up you could dig up. I think in this poem, perhaps maybe just the act of digging up plants mm-hmm. sort of spurs it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's that simple. But certainly, I'm sure you know with most. If it was just a a reportage, it wouldn't be a poem. True. You know, so there's got to be a mixture of, yes. in this case, some absurdity, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, there's elements of it. Obviously, that poetry fragment mm-hmm. was possibly on a sleeve, but it mm-hmm. was written back, mm-hmm. you know, years ago. Well, when, as I, so we'll separate this out of, like, did this really happen right, to you, Tom? Right, And just for me, the finding of the, or the mention of the poem, to me, referenced back to the whatever the relationship was with the person with the white with the ex-wife sure you know and to me that was like there was a kind of well there's fun there's humor but that was there was a kind of sadness like for in that moment there's a poignancy there's a poignancy thank you that's a good word and the theft too is is a title that can go in a lot of different directions yes this is true. Yeah. Plus, and the mention of a swing set, like, to me, that meant, oh, well, there must have been children. You know, so there's, like, there's all, I think you did an excellent job of, like, suggesting all kinds of um, backstory and underneath story. Oh, and yeah. just, like, you know, in the way, you, the way the, the poem is told. Oh, so I, kind I appreciate that. Yeah, job. I'm glad you brought this one up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I really, I... And actually, I think I also wanted to kind of say, I think in the beginning, I said I could understand why the David Berman poem resonated with you because you tend to often tell, you do tell stories in your poetry. I think that's kind of a, um, you know, some poets write about, about things they see in nature and they make it amazing and other people do other things. And I always think of you as a poet who tells stories but in a poetic way. Yeah, I think a lot of my poems are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the my next book, uh, a lot of the poems are going to be prose poems because they are so they are so story like. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's the one that's called um, ha- cutting the dust cutting, in half. Cutting the dust in half. Hey, before we end today, do you want to share a little of your haiku? And tell us sure, about the haiku project. Right. So uh, I don't know why, but uh, last year, 2020, right before the pandemic hit, uh, I thought you know, I would write 34 haikus for Giannis Antetokounmpo, whose number is 34. So I did that. I released one a day. And then last year, or this year, 2021, I did 30. I did it for April Poetry Month. I did 30 poems for the Brewers, uh-huh. one a day. Next year, I'm going to do 30 poems, one for every every major league team in alphabetical order, <laughs> which is Wonderful. going to be a little more difficult. Yeah. Especially when I get to, like, you know, the Seattle Mariners. What do you say about <laughs> them? I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, for the honest, it was a lot of fun. I really had, I really had fun. And I've those had you had on Instagram, if I remember. I had in, these on Instagram, and I had a couple other – we can't use Instagram anymore, as we just found out. Um, <laughs> but uh, on a couple other platforms, but um, they, I didn't get too much reaction. And then mm. – 
for the brewer poems, I just emailed them out. And I got a lot more reaction, actually. So maybe I'll just do that. I don't really know what I'll do. Let's hear a few. Sure. Uh, and I tried a lot of a lot of them. I tried to sort of tie in mm-hmm. Greek mythology. So that's some uh, of the, the Greek so he, yes. aspect. Okay. Giannis or Apollo, god of sun and healing, will need you in June. Read a couple more. New Pfizer Forum, hanging banners of Giannis, are Acropolis. Ah, that's great. Uh, this one is, oh, I am in the, lo- I'm sorry, in the losing camp. I am a Trojan poet. Turn me Greek, Giannis. <laughs> and I got a couple more. Giannis shooting threes, a sharpshooter he becomes, Socrates Hemlock. Yeah. I think I got one more here. I'd like to see. Oh, yeah. This is, I like this. This is my favorite one because we won the championship when he made a lot of free throws. Mm-hmm. Time is ticking down. Free throws his Achilles heel. Follow through, Giannis. <laughs> so, that was anyway, just, yeah, just, that was What a, a fun project. It's fun to do. Yeah. Really yeah. fun for me, at least. Terrific. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's been and a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for coming to Sheboygan, and thank you, listener, for joining us. Uh, if you have any ideas for the for the show, please reach out to me at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com and join us again next time for Poetry on Air. Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Reed Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.